Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast brought to you by 70 Agency. You're listening to Martina and Barbara. Hello, welcome to yet another episode of 70 Tech Talks. Hello. Hi, Martina. <laughs> Hi, Barbara. How are you doing? It's Friday. It's sunny. I think it's a wonderful day. I think this might even be one of the first spring days. So yeah, I I am in the best possible mood. Also, I'm in the best possible mood because we have such an exciting episode ahead of us today. <laughs> yes, you are so right. Um, we have a very exciting episode. Um, today, we are talking about a subject that has been around since the early 2000s, at least the name for it, but the concept has existed since way before that um, and is now gaining in prominence more than before. It is in use by companies from various industries and its use cases span across manufacturing, medicine and all the way to smart cities planning. And they are called digital twins and are what some say a foundation for the enterprise metaverse. And since Martina's and my knowledge on this topic is a bit limited, <laughs> we <laughs> we're not experts yet. We're not experts yet. Uh, we invited an expert on this topic to be a guest in our episode today. We would like to welcome Daria, a researcher at KTH Royal Institute of Technology, a public research university based here in Stockholm, Sweden. KTH conducts research and education in engineering and technology and is Sweden's largest technical university. Welcome, Daria. We are yeah, very okay. happy <laughs> to have you with us today. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you very much for having me today on this beautiful sunny day. And uh, my name is Daria Botkina, and uh, I'm working at KTH. I'm a PhD student, um, and uh, my research is mainly about information modeling and digital twins. And I've been in this area since 2017, I believe, so it's been some time, a while. Uh, I, uh, I am involved in some uh, groups of international standardization about digital twins and uh, digital manufacturing. So, and I hope that I can be useful today and give oh, you some I, insights 100%. <laughs> about digital twins. I was just thinking, like, okay, so you said that it's been around since 2000. I think that's crazy to begin with. Um, but wow, okay, what, what do we know? What was it? What was the concept in 2000 that kind of established that? We don't know. Well, no, I was I was reading about it, but I wanted, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to leave that for, for Daria because I think maybe first we can just uh, explain what is a digital twin. We have... I mean, Martina and I work with some of our clients where where digital twins are in use, either as a service that they provide or as a service that they use. But or something that they are exploring, simply. Yeah, uh, but I think that the first time the concept itself was mm. presented in 1991. So oh, it wow. has been like quite a while ago, but yeah. it was just a concept about that yeah. uh, everything should have the digital rep representation. And uh, later on, in 2010, uh, the first time as it was... Uh, the term itself mm. was uh, used, it was in NASA report. So NASA were one of the first ones who tried to implement the idea that everything 
what uh, has some uh, value, let's say asset, have uh, should have digital representation, and not just the model of it, because it was quite often that people kind of thought that uh, digital digital twin it's just a digital model, but it's a little bit more because model yes we have a lot of models uh, of everything actually this desk this mark everything has its digital model while it was done but what is more important that you would like to know a little bit more details about the physical object you would like to know how it was made uh, what material was used you would like to have some uh, near real-time data from the production. And later on, of course, it would be great if you have uh, data about how it was used. And uh, that is the digital twin, that you collect uh, data and information throughout the whole life cycle of the product. Mm -hmm. And later on, you can uh, decide what you want to do with that data. But uh, this is the way more than uh, just a digital model. So it's from from the beginning of when materials are being created, all the way through to when materials are then being recycled or thrown away. In ideal world. In ideal world. Yes. <laughs> and and um, you mentioned that it has near real time data gathering. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, uh, this is um, this is quite important to understand because when we are talking about real-time data, when we see this data on the screen or when we have this data in the system, uh, this is something that already has happened most of the time. So that's why we call it like near real-time data because real-time data, it's never real because as soon as uh, you get the signal from your sensor about that, it, it, it has happened already. Mm. How how long is the delay? You, do you know? Do you know? Just like generally, what would be the delay in that data? Is it a second? It depends. Uh, it depends what kind of data you have, what kind of machines you have, uh, who, which generates this data, and uh, it depends about what kind of communication you have. So uh, it depends a lot because, like, and it depends also what kind of data. Uh, it is need for because sometimes, for example, for some data, there is no need for low latency. There is, mm. it's fine if you, for example, have uh, the design or CAD drawing. I don't know, not the same millisecond uh, it was generated, and like a few seconds later, or even minutes. Uh, uh, but at the same time, in some processes, it is required to have uh, shorter latency and shorter delay time. And if we just go back to, we explained what the digital twin is as a, um, so what the definition of it is. Can we also explain to someone who doesn't maybe know anything about that the best way is maybe to explain what kind of digital twins you work with or you are researching? Yes, uh, I mean, my research is, uh, has been quite specific since I'm working in the production department production engineering department, and uh, we are mainly working with production engineering. And what is production engineering is, uh, let's say, a lot of CNC machines. Uh, that is my specific topic, which if we would like to be a little bit more uh, narrow, and uh, the machining processes, which, for example, you would like to, uh, to manufacture and to machine uh, an engine block just something what is easy to imagine. And uh, for this engine block, you have to have uh, quite precise uh, manufacturing and precise machining. You would like to know exactly what are the size and the tolerances because usually they are quite strict. 
And uh, you, first of all, you have design data of that engine block. Uh, later on, you have some uh, blank material which you will machine this engine block out of, and then you start in the machining process mm. of that by using the CNC machine tool, by using cutting tool, by using person uh, who operates this machine. And uh, later, for example, you use that engine block in the truck or car, or um, and uh, you start. Somebody is starting to using that to use that uh, truck or car and start to generate user data because you would like to know, for example, how that engine was used, like how fast the car was going, where, in which region, what kind of uh, maintenance later on it had had. And then uh, you would like to probably, by collecting this data as a company, you would like to provide uh, better engines. You would, you want to learn based on this data uh, what actually can be uh, improved and developed further. So essentially you use the digital twin for simulation and then evaluation and, and testing, I would assume? Yes, uh, one of the one of the purposes, yes. Oh, okay. What, what other purposes <laughs> might there be? <laughs> well, uh, right now, for example, we are talking quite a lot about uh, circularity and sustainability. Right, right, right. And yeah. uh, you would like to, uh, quite a lot of companies now, they are switching their business model uh, for the reverse uh, supply chains and how to get their products back because they realize that this is this old uh, engine block would also have still quite a lot of value uh, because quite, well, probably, yeah, qu quite a lot of parts uh, from the car or the truck can be remanufactured. Mm. And um, even not being so specific about car and trucks, uh, there is a number of companies who are doing some refurbishment and remanufacturing uh, services for, for example, turbines uh, of uh, uh, hydroelectric stations because to buy the new one costs a lot of money mm -hmm. and they would like to keep them uh, going as long as possible. And uh, by, by this, you want your product back and you would like to know how what was the life of this product mm -hmm. to provide a better service after the end of uh, life cycle. So of course, like you can simulate some data. You can you, when, when you gather it, you can run some simulations. You can run some data analytics and to probably to predict some trends and to uh, to have some expectations uh, about what will happen next. But also, it is very important to understand uh, what you have in front of you mm, when, right. when if you get your product mm. back. Right. So, uh, as I understand it, there are essentially four types of digital twins. You have component twins, asset twins, system unit, system unit twins, or system twins, <laughs> <laughs> and process twins. I don't know how familiar you are with like with the different types, but is that just names for different? different items to create a digital twin of? Or is there actually different types, maybe use cases for that? Um, it depends on the framework mm -hmm. you use for digital twin. Because as I said, the idea about digital twin depends a lot on the industry mm -hmm. you are working uh, with on the purpose. Because uh, like my area is manufacturing, yeah. but it also... 
uh, exists the um, digital twin of smart cities, healthcare, and many more. And um, uh, for example, right now, like where we at KTH were involved in uh, the new international standard, ISO standard to three two four seven for digital twin for manufacturing framework. And uh, that is one of the framework how you can use uh, digital twin and how you can set up the digital twin in manufacturing. So we what we provided, we provided the use case and uh, we kind of show that how you can see what's actually happening in your machine in Sweden being in US. Mm. And uh, you can see exactly and you can compare, for example, you have some well, when you are when you are machining something, you have some process planning, and you know what to expect, and some process planner what he or she has planned for, and in case if something went wrong or not the way as it was planned, you would see the difference, uh, and uh, you can go back to the data and you can try to understand what what was the reason for that, what has happened. So you can see the data from from the past, but can you also manipulate Digital Twin and test it, how things would work if you were to set it up a certain way? I mean, Digital Twin is more or less just an information model, and Mm. uh, that is the way how you store your data, and uh, later on what kind of AI algorithms you would like to use and try to to build any trends or to have some machine learning probably and to learn out of this data, this is... uh, possible. Mm. What are the benefits of digital twins? So one of the examples which we are usually using when we are talking about digital twins is uh, trying to imagine how now in the global world the production is working, that when you are being in Sweden and you have your production, for example, somewhere in Brazil or China, and it used to be that if you have some problems with the production down there, you usually travel there and go and check what was wrong. What was the process wrong? Is it something with the machine? What is the quality? And so on. But uh, in 2020, after pandemic uh, has happened, like we were not able to travel the same uh, level as we did before. And also there is a huge environmental impact on our travel and uh, flying uh, somewhere else too, too much. And uh, then like by having the access to the data about your production and by having the access to the results, like for example, the quality quality results, the data during your machining, during the production itself, you can understand uh, better the process behavior, you can understand better the system behavior and uh, you will be able to know what was wrong and how you can improve it. So without uh, traveling extra. Okay, so we have um, environmental benefits, but then also still having, um, and also obviously cost reduction since you don't have to travel anymore. And, And then we avoid any missed opportunities that would normally happen if you would have to travel, but thought that maybe the issue is not worth the travel. Yes. Yeah, and I guess you can make also a more consistent analysis if you can have the model more accessible than you usually have maybe the product or the operation line. And by taking some decisions later on, you can make them uh, database decisions. So you 
not just based on your own experience, which is, of course, very valuable, but you also can have some data to support you when you are taking those decisions and when you decided to change uh, something. And then just from thinking about you gather all this data, does that also help with no with um, product development in any way in the future? Uh, yes, one of my colleagues she is working on the product development quite a lot, and uh, that is a quite a big challenge. Uh, how to be able to trace back uh, all the versions and all the requirements to the product uh, is that the requirements from the supplier, is that the requirement of the customer, you would like to know and you would like to have access to that data as well. So you want this data to be traceable and accessible, especially if we are talking, for example, the information throughout the few levels in the organization. Like usually it it is a case sometimes that uh, the department at the same company probably do not talk to each other or do not have the proper communication and the proper data uh, exchange. Uh, not just, uh, not it's not the only one we are talking about um, the data exchange between different companies, between supplier and uh, the customer, for example. We've been talking a lot about tracing the data and you know being able to use it to utilize it after like 25 years after actually having uh, collected it how do we work around that and and how do we want to be working around that do we see any potential solutions today for that well that is the research question but that is also actually good. I think that the combination of the research question, like first, what kind of the data will be needed after 25 years? Because you would like to become circular. You want to know what was happening with your process as during how it was done, how it was manufactured, and also what has happened during its uh, lifetime. So you would like to have access to that information. But of course, like during like, for example, 25 years, that is the challenge to still have access to, to the data after this uh, lifetime. And um, uh, one of the questions, what kind of data you will need after so many years, because most likely you will not need all the data, how all the vibration data, for example, the terabytes of data for a few minutes of how that was uh, machined. Uh, But perhaps you will you still will need the data about the materials or maintenance or some other questions. But also, of course, that is uh, a challenge for uh, how to keep this data and how to make this data still available. Yeah, because I, I guess then it's also a question that um, that affects many industries probably that are gathering data right now. Um, how do you store that and how sustainable that is? Um, but I had another question about like the sustainability around material use, um, this, how does the data help with that? I mean, for example, like when you get your product back, uh, you would like to remanufacture or refurbish it, not just recycle, because you probably some of the parts of your product are still able to use. And uh, you would like to know which material it has been uh, done of. <laughs> you, you would like to have access to that uh, information. And even for recycling, you would like to know 
what is the material to recycle it properly. So you would like to have uh, access to that uh, information. Uh, my colleagues, they're working quite a lot on the circularity aspect and on the circularity uh, challenges. And uh, they have uh, a few quite uh, interesting uh, European uh, research projects, so I can recommend you to check one of them. Mm-hmm. What, which one is it? Uh, it's called uh, RECIPS, R-E-C-I-P-S-S. So that one, that one was over, and I think that uh, one of the research they made there was about washing machines, like how to what what which parts of the washing machines are still possible to use after uh, well after some time. Uh, they made some some analysis of that, so I can uh, recommend it. <laughs> do, you, do you think it's going to be? Uh Or rather, when do you think it's going to be applied on a larger scale? For instance, so now digital twins are being tested, right? Or like, or the the application and use case of, of them are being tested. For instance, in the aerospace industry. For instance, now also like in the consumer industry uh, or consumer product industry. But when are we going to see? A, a bigger adoption of it, do you think? Is it going to be common for everything from, you know, from washing machine to maybe refrigerators to maybe smaller products such as phone, uh, smartphones and so on to to use digital twins in order to track and analyze the uh, the life cycle of a product? That is a little bit the question, is that needed? Oh, okay, like, yeah, that, that's a good point. Is that really, because like, It is quite a data intense uh, yeah. thing to have this data and to analyze this data, and probably there is no need for that. Mm, like, what would yeah. be the main benefit out of it? So, when we are talking about scalability and scaling up, it that is the question which sometimes we get from industry when we are talking about digital twins, like how you can trace uh, everything and how you can have this data and one of the questions we can get what for what will bring it to us would that be the the cost yeah. and how yeah. can we see that that the money we spent on this will be less than we gain out of it Yeah, good point. Yeah, obviously you're going to make some gains from using a digital twin, but there's also going to be quite a, a well, probably a substantial investment in just setting this model up to begin exactly. with. Yeah, of course. So, what what kind of uh, in what industries do you, do you think is going to be more common, or maybe what what applications is going to be more common? Uh, I mean, th- those industries where it costs the most to redo things and oh, yeah. <laughs> not to trace. Like why, for example, aerospace industry was one of the uh, one of those who moved forward. Yeah, because it cost a lot of money to if they fail. If they fail with uh, the product they are doing, and even if they fail during the machining, for for example, it costs a lot of money to recycle the materials they are using. So that's why they try to make it as more data intense because data costs the way less than mm. to redo the whole rocket, for example, or something else, or yeah. space. Yeah. When it comes to setting up the digital twin. How do you create a digital twin? I mean, what kind of tools do companies usually use um, to create those digital twins? And what is the process behind it? Um, well, as uh, 
in some way, of course, that would be great if everyone in the company would be involved in creation of digital twin, because uh, in ideal world, digital twin is the representation of everything what's happening around. And of course, you would like to, uh, you, you, you need someone who is working with IT, because this is a lot about IT infrastructure and a lot about um, Internet of Things and connectivity of the things, uh, how to collect data out of the uh, machines or parts and how to store it. Uh, you, of course, would like to have involved people who know what kind of data actually is being generated. Because sometimes it's quite easy to say like, oh yeah, we'll run the machine learning uh, and algorithms and we will know everything what's going on. But unfortunately, it's not It's not like that. You have to have someone who understands what this data is about and if this data has any value or not. Because also companies right now, they have the tendency to hoard a lot of data right. and to keep it and saying, okay, probably we will need it one day. Uh, but uh, it is important to have someone who knows. Uh, but just to store the data, can, yeah. like the resources required for storing the data might, <laughs> exactly. might be uh, more expensive exactly. than the actual value. They exactly. Like storing your old clothes in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Never getting rid of them. <laughs> Uh, but the, the the million dollar question: How do we know what data we need for a digital twin? Then, if if that's one of the the first steps where we we gather a team with the correct competence and then we start exploring data to include into the digital twin, what is valuable, what is not? How do we know what to this what we a, want in there? A really good research question. <laughs> <laughs> one of uh, research questions which I'm working on. Because, uh, as I said, it depends a lot first yeah. on the industry and on the purpose you would like to achieve. Because sometimes you probably don't need to keep the data, I don't know, when, uh, when you... Uh, machine the part and you collect vibration sensor data. It's going to be terabytes in a few minutes. And wow. you actually don't need this data. <laughs> you would like to probably get some snapshot out of it to understand if the process was good or not. Mm. You would like to probably to learn something and you don't need to keep this data. But uh, some but you could say that no, this data is also valuable because this is how we will see, uh, we will use it for, for example, for maintenance of the machine. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, as I said, there is no right question for that. It depends a lot uh, what kind of data is needed and it depends. This is uh, quite a good research question. What is actually needed and what for and how to define, is this data actually bring us some value? How is it even possible then to determine that this digital twin is accurate? You know, if we're supposed to, first of all, evaluate like what kind of data we need, but then when we're sitting there and we have developed a digital twin, like how, how can we know that the simulations, that the tests and, uh, that we are running, that mm. that's actually an, um, a fair representation of the process or the asset that we have 
uh, that we repl- replicated. And this is another good research question. <laughs> 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 which my heart. Maybe, maybe I should just go go try <laughs> to get a PhD. Yeah, or like, <laughs> <some> so. <laughs> yeah. For example, one of my colleagues he is working on um, the uh, data anal- analytics, trying mm. to predict the surface after surface roughness after. Oh, yeah. Uh, something has been machined and uh, that is a good question because like you have a lot of data and you would like to predict something out yeah. of it and you hope that this data is enough and mm. uh, you hope that the quality of this data is good enough as well. But I can say that there are also um, quite a lot of, uh, for example, ISO groups uh, to work on the standards, how to define data quality and a lot of research about how to define is this data, uh, if quality is good enough mm. for that and if this is actually something what we can uh, get out of it. Yeah. Because um, if we're talking about uh, manufacturing and if we're talking about machining, there are a lot of challenges and uh, related not just to the data, but also towards like f- physics behind the process. That's why you really have to understand uh, what your data is about and how to treat this data. Mm. So, so should the company then be responsible in identifying what kind of data they need to gather based on the challenges they might face in the organization? Yeah, could be one way. And then there's also probably an initiative from suppliers to want to instruct companies what kind of data they might want to have or like wish to have in order to improve their processes? Uh, yeah, that is a little <laughs> bit tricky question. <laughs> Because uh, companies, unfortunately, they uh, they're not so happy to share their data between each other. And that is uh, also quite a big uh, challenge. Uh, when we're talking about digital twins, because of course you have to outsource uh, some of your tasks and some of your uh, processes. And uh, it would be of course great if you can share the data between, because you would like to know how, I don't know, for example, one of the gears for your gearbox was done in another company. Mm -hmm. Uh, You would like to have some data uh, from the company. But for another company, this is a core value data. And they say, why would we like to share this data if you can use it? And uh, it works vice versa because those companies, they would like to, who provided the part to outsource to another company, they would like to get some data back about how that specific uh, part or product they provided to them was used. And another company, they don't want to share this data back because this is their core value. And that is a lot of uh, challenges about how to convince companies to share it and how mm. to find a way how to share this data in a safe uh, manner. It feels a bit counterproductive because it would be in benefit of a company that is using a certain unit that they have received mm. from a supplier to share the data so that that unit could be maybe improved for the future when they need it for another yeah, at another time. So it's hard to to understand yeah. that that piece of information is being held back. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's great value, or there's greater value to gain, I assume, if one can just like find a way to collaborate and to to set up terms where both parties get um, get the kind of insights that they need to improve their own products and operations. But then, question is, and because we've been talking uh, quite a lot about like blockchain in previous episodes. So I'm just wondering, is wouldn't that be maybe a way? Like mm-hmm. we've talked about smart contracts, for instance, how like how data is all, uh, already programmed that it can only be used in one certain way. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether that's not. I mean, that's maybe a little bit like in the future, but like I wonder whether that mm-hmm. wouldn't be like a technology that can be used in order to ensure that data is correctly handled and uh, or accurately handled accurately, you know, uh, handed over to to the next party, but then also only used for a specific yes. purpose. And yes. if maybe that's a way where we can find a platform for for companies to collaborate with each other, that's, uh, that is uh, not my area, <laughs> area of expertise necessarily, so it's obviously just... Sounds so, logic though, so, I mean, it's, like, it sounds yeah. like an interesting... Um, to me also at least like also not an yeah. expert in the area <laughs> but yeah i mean what do you say i would say that of course that would be great uh, at the same time it is somehow understandable because some companies they are expecting that in case if something would happen with the part they provided yeah and it would be uh, later on re- research back and that the problem was in that specific uh, part, they are afraid that they will get some... Uh, so it would, would be like a liability towards yes, them. Yes, right? exactly. Mm. Uh, another question mm. is more about uh, business models. Like mm. the companies, they sometimes they do not see the value of the data and they do not see the value of sharing this data. Mm-hmm. And it is a lot about business model around this data, and a lot about how to, how to, uh, how to deal with that. But so, when you say business models around data, that they don't know how they should monetize the uh, the, the data pools that they have, essentially, or. I would say that they are working on that. Okay, <laughs> yeah, but but that that's the is that the issue then to like to understand just how we should how we should actually build a business around the data that we have available. Yeah, but it's also quite often that companies who provide and who generate yeah. a lot of data they are quite um, old-fashioned way companies. And uh, sometimes for them, security of their data is the way more important than mm, the right. value they expect to get, yeah. um, mm. which they probably do not see or do not understand, or probably their data in such a mess and they don't know themselves what they have actually. Yeah, I remember when we first started discuss or when we were first exploring this topic with you, and you mentioned that digital twins is data management. There's a layer on top that yes. is maybe more more visual to it, mm. but uh, the foundation of this, as you it's mentioned, information management or data management. So the question is also, if how can we, or I would assume that one of the speed bumps is also that a lot of the companies that would that are in manufacturing that would probably benefit a lot from digital twins, they are quite dig- digitally immature. They have maybe not uh, not uh, automated a lot of their processes. They maybe don't have 
set structures or, or systematic structures for managing their data, for, for storing their data. So maybe, is it, maybe that is a challenge in itself, right? That you have it to is. work with companies that are a little bit further behind in the, to educate in the digital. Them. Yeah, mm. exactly, exactly. It's so funny how it always comes down to education yeah. of companies with every new technology that appears. In, and a lot of times you're educating while the technology is already in, you know, being implemented. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of catching up a train that's already moving. I would say that <laughs> there is a problem a little bit <laughs> lower level. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example... Some companies, they claim, oh, you know, we collect a lot of data. We collect everything, we analyze everything. Uh, well, first, uh, most likely, no, you don't. <laughs> Even though... <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> You're delusional. <laughs> well, um, I, ca- I can provide you an example of one of our master students. Uh, He's been working on his master thesis about production line um, analytics and to, to see what caused the reason for bottlenecks, what kind of the machines in that production line and what he has as data and the companies, they said, we have a lot of data, lots of it, you can use it. The data was about the machine, like when it's operating, it has the green light, when uh, it's lagging and waiting for the, the Uh, the product to come mm-hmm. in, it has a yellow light, and when uh, there is an error, there is a red light. And sometimes when there is red light, well, the operator has to come and to fix the problem, and hopefully they have to add the number or the code of uh, error mm. to for some statistics and analysis. So what could go wrong? You have a lot of data, you have lights, you can analyze it, AI, <laughs> machine learning, everything is settled. <laughs> uh, but then like our students starting to work on the on uh, on the data analytics and he told us this data makes no sense because like there is the material flow between uh, different machines and there is something what I expect and okay I see that there is a red color and probably this machine the next one has to stop and wait uh, for the one um, for the product to come but it keeps working and he was so confused because he said that it makes no sense so that data had uh, the light mm-hmm. and the timestamps when the light was changed And then he had to go to the company and to check uh, what's going on because our first thought was like, okay, probably the data is wrong, the quality is not good. Mm. Uh, and then when he came to the company, he realized that the problem was in timestamps because every machine was uh, con- uh, was uh, synchronized with different clocks. Oh, so wow. one machine was in yeah, Vanuatu, another machine <laughs> was, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> probably in my homeland in yeah. Kazakhstan. <laughs> <laughs> at the same time, they were at the same place <laughs> wow. uh, where they are. And uh, then he had to check every machine to see what is the difference in the clocks. Oh, wow. So that he could map out the data quickly. Exactly, wow. exactly. So this is like a really basic and ground level problem. Yeah. And uh, of course, like you have a lot of data. You generated that, you collect that, you save this data. But uh, even to run the simple machine learning and AI and to analyze, okay, so here you have bottleneck. These are the reasons why you have uh, errors in the machines. That was impossible without synchronizing clocks. Mm. And this is something so simple and so based level 
not so, not something what we are talking about sharing some sophisticated data and so on. This it's just by by setting up the data, it's exactly. already in some companies not set correctly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> and still, like it's yeah, as you say, it's maybe a basic fault, but then to find it first and foremost, that will take some time. Then yeah. to correct the data, then that's another. Uh, yeah. And I think that for him, uh, his master thesis was, like, let's say, around about like five to six months, mm-hmm. as usually. And I think that he spent on that uh, mystery of data <laughs> his first three months oh, or so, wow. <laughs> trying to first to get data, then to realize what this data means, and then try to understand why he's stuck and why it makes no sense. It's so interesting because when you read articles about digital twins, a lot of them describe this dream case scenario. You have a production and uh, you have certain um, units from different suppliers that are being provided for you. All these different pieces are being measured, uh, you know, through being, they have a digital twin and then a problem appears and that uh, notification is being sent to a supplier. A supplier gets that notification and is able to see, okay, this is what's wrong with the item. Let us replace it. Let us order the exact amount of materials we need and send it back. It, it sounds very simple, but it makes me wonder what other challenges, apart from data sharing and not setting the data correctly, what other challenges um, are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, one of the main, uh, one of the challenge would be the context of data. Mm-hmm. Because machines, they are usually quite stupid and they understand, let's say, simple language called like a G code, for example, mm-hmm. and which brings you no value. It just says like, okay, so you, you have to move Uh, your tool from this position to that position with that specific speed and that specific trajectory, probably. And uh, you have no context about that, what kind of product you've been working on, which process you've been using. You have no idea. And then you start to measure something, and uh, it's the similar situation. You have no connection, for example, between your production data and measuring data, because you measure it in different machines, You usually do not keep uh, track of uh, that this is that specific part you've been measuring and uh, that has been machined in that specific machine tool with that specific cutting tool and so on. Usually there is no traceability even uh, in the world. Well, even within the same company, uh, it is quite challenging to share data between different departments and between even if you have two machines standing next to each other, this is a challenge, how to collect data from these two machines and how to combine them into the context uh, you will later use on. So that is one of the challenge. Uh, and the context is really important because you would like to know uh, what's going on. You would like to know which, how, how this data is related to something you are working on. Another problem here, if you have multiple sources of data, even if you're talking about the same process, you could have a few sources of data uh, being generated. For example, you have some additional sensors and the data is being generated, they're uh, transferred to, I don't know, to the laptop or to another system. And uh, the data is coming from the machine. And here it could be the same problem that you have clocks synchronized uh, in mm. different time zones. 
And uh, it, it could be the same situation that you do not have the proper data fusion because how do you know that the latency behind mm. is uh, not too much and, or not it's not too low or not because how uh, how would you know that mm. this is the data related to that specific moment when that specific tool was in that specific part so the, the problem about data fusion like how to collect data from multiple sources into one and how to have context out of it Uh, how should we tackle this? I mean, maybe not only on an enterprise level, but maybe even industry level. Are, are standards, industry standards, the, the solution? Is that the way to go? Or is there anything a business could do? I mean, personally, I am a huge fan of standards. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that we have to use them ever, well as, as much as possible. Because mm. that is another challenge. Sometimes you do not have interoperability between your parts. Mm. And uh, some systems or machines and uh, whatever, they do not understand what kind of data uh, you give to that system. Uh, and uh, that is quite a challenge because, let's say that when I was a student, uh, we had a task to open the 3D drawing, uh, which has been generated on one uh, Yeah, in one product and try to open and to recognize all the sizes and tolerances and other products, another card drawing uh, systems. And apparently it wasn't possible. Uh, it was a huge challenge just to open the 3D drawing between different companies, between different suppliers. And what if we are talking like the 3D drawing, they exist for how many years? Mm. And this is still a challenge. Well, there has been only one uh, standard which was possible to open everywhere and to recognize that was the international standard for 3D drawing, for the CAD drawing, like, so, step standard. <laughs> yes, interoperability is uh, across, I mean, there's challenge across many industries. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's going to be, it's the curse of innovative technologies, right? If yes. When you mm -hmm. first start trying to uh, to explore it, and when you first try to maybe implement it with the very first use cases, obviously you you're still testing out like what even what should a standard be, what should it look like? Then I guess so, some industries maybe have that already figured out. Or maybe some areas ha uh, already have an idea. Some companies they have the internal standards. Mm, yeah. Okay. And uh, for example, like uh, one of the the um, uh, most uh, popular providers for manufacturing uh, solutions, uh, IT, uh, you could have everything working perfectly within the same ecosystem mm -hmm. they provide. But as soon as you would like to change one of the product to another supplier uh, of the IT or CAD system, you will face the problem because that ecosystem oh. do not correctly get and interpret data get, uh, getting from another system. But of course, there is a list of standards. There are like so many of them. Uh, some of the standards, uh, they are new and they've been developed by people who are in industry for so many years. So they really know their business. And uh, it is, uh, so th there is a list of standards and uh, you can decide yourself what kind of you would like to use. But of course, there are like some of them are better than the others. <laughs> Yeah, but you mentioned also the um, there's a challenge, right? When the systems are not interoperable with, between each other, 
do companies very often use um, services from different providers when it comes to digital twins? Is that common? I mean, uh, it, it is quite common that companies, they prefer to use uh, different solutions for their IT systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is quite common that they have, for example, something from, from one provider and something else from another one. And it depends on uh, what kind of uh, setting the company has and uh, what has been decided to use as the common uh system. Mm. Uh, so yeah, that is the challenge, for example, when we are talking about how to set up the dig- digital twin. Uh, first, you would like to know what kind of data you have. But data sometimes, it's not just the numbers of, uh, I don't know, the timestamps and some numbers of the co- of the color of the, mm. for example, the, mm. the machine tools. It could be CAD data. And if you're talking about CAD data, the, there is a number of uh, companies who are providing the solution for CAD. And then we have, I don't know, process planning. And there is a number of providers of process planning uh, data. And uh, it is quite quite common that companies, they have, uh, well, they have their own way to work and they have their own way to generate data and to share the data between departments mm-hmm. and between each yeah. other. Who are the the major players in this field? I think that in some sense uh, it could be any uh, vendor of uh, IoT platform, of mm-hmm. uh, cloud platforms, mm-hmm. because if you even just, let's say, Google it and you say digital twins, you can find uh, multiple solutions mm-hmm. from from Microsoft, for example, that they say, yeah, you can use our Azure for digital twins. Ericsson has it. Ericsson <laughs> has yeah. it. This because like digital twin, um, in some sense, as I mentioned, it is information modeling, and uh, for that you have to have some repository for storing this data, because you generate a lot of data as a company, and you would like to store it, and you would like to have some, uh, let's say, shell around that. You would like mm. to know how to trace this data. You would like to know how this data is related to something. But this is not, uh, let's say, something, not the solution which you can implement to everyone. Let's say for each company, the solution going to be different mm. because it depends on so many things. But of course, like uh, you can, for example, collect some data for your um, for your enterprise data about the number of how many parts you, for example, sold, where, how. This kind of data is kind of similar probably throughout the companies. But if you're talking about manufacturing, this data is kind of similar, but it depends a lot on uh, what exactly your production is about. Is that robots? Is that uh, machine tools? Is that uh, something else? So you have to know your data. Yeah. But so essentially, this is digital twins. The the business models for digital twins in itself is essentially a, a SaaS platforms, or they are being sold as SaaS platforms or SaaS services. Is that reasonable to say? Could be. Could be. Yeah. Could okay. be. Depends. Like I mean, for example, at KTH, we have our own system for digital twin, and that mm-hmm. was the combination of repository, SQL database. Uh, some, let's say, shell which um, uh, decides what to do with the data mm. uh, because like you have multiple data flows and you would like to 
something you would like to store and you would like to know where mm. you have this data and uh, later on you probably would like to have access to that and you would like to trace back and you would like to analyze this data. So, and uh, that one we made with open source solutions, for example. Yeah. And uh, because like we are but, in research. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not a commercial model. So no. that's only for, for research purposes. Yes, yeah. yes. So that is also possible. So there is, uh, but of course, uh, we have quite a small workshop if you compare with uh, some companies mm, like. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just curious if you have the competence and resources for it and maybe just, you know, the, the, the capacity of data storage, then maybe a company that wants to keep it in-house, they could probably just develop this themselves, right? But then... If we want to see a large scale use of digital twins, I think these kind of like SaaS uh, models or SaaS services is quite valuable for for smaller companies, for less mature companies, where they can simply be a little bit more guided. But you know that the foundation is already there. But there, yeah, there. I guess there should be some plug and play quick solutions. It's an interesting question, I think, because yeah, what is the software that you get and how? much can you modify it? Because a lot of, I think, you know, when we're getting softwares for yeah. know, 70, you often look at how do we how do we tailor-made it to the use cases that yeah. we need it for. So I wonder what's the, now that you ask this question, I wonder what's the, what's the product that you get and how much can it be modified and how much you have to create yourself. Yeah, or maybe rather like how standardized can it be mm. in order to still provide value yes. for, a, for like a, a pretty big audience. Mm. I suppose that's something that we cannot clarify here, but it's an interesting topic for when we see a large scale um Maybe we need a guest that can help us <laughs> to explain that. But I have a question about data. Um, we talk a lot about data. Yes. A lot. There seems to be huge amounts of data gathered within a short amount of time. You mentioned terabytes within minutes. Where does all this data go? And what does it take to store all that and to gather all the data? Yeah, so that is... It can uh, be very sustainable. <laughs> no, it is not. So the, there are some expectations that by uh, 2030, 20% of our electricity demand worldwide going to be for ICT, for data storing and data using, usage. And uh, that is another problem that companies, as I said, that they keep, they have the tendency to keep data. Mm. And hope that that data will be used one day later on. Uh, but uh, it, it it is quite challenging because uh, the more data you store, the more money you spend on this. Uh, on this. And uh, you have to start using that data, not just storing that data. And by using that data, you, of course, would need uh, someone who knows the data, who knows how it was at least what this data is related to and uh, how to analyze this data and how to filter it, first of all, and how to make any sense out of it. So that is, uh, yeah, that is a challenge. How to Do you have any information, just top level, <clears throat> how much, how much... Um, how much does it cost? How much emissions? Yeah, like, it, oh, like how much money do companies spend 
percentage-wise of their revenue just on data? Do you know no, any? No, I don't know. No. I would be curious to, mm. to understand curious what, too. what is spent on just mm. the data part. That's maybe also then a challenge too, uh, to managing digital twins, because mm. obviously you have to be smart about how, yeah, maybe there should be greater awareness about not storing data just for the sake of it, for maybe having it as some other point, because it's actually quite, there are some uh, environmental and I yes. suppose, uh, financial. At the same time, you have to be sure that uh, the data you store, if you would like to get your product back after mm. 25 years, mm. uh, you would like to be sure that the data is still there and you still can trace it back at least to know uh, something about mm. the part you're getting back at least to know the material it was uh, mm. made of. And uh, that is another uh, question about uh, identification, because everything should be unique identified. And uh, that is another, let's say, challenge here, how to be sure that you really, after 25 years, that is a long period of time. Yeah. And if you get your part back, you will still be able to trace it. And uh, of course, after the part, for example, has been done, you don't need the most of the of the machining data uh, if you would like to think about the quality of the part. But at the same time, perhaps you would like to estimate your uh, machine tool. How well is it feeling? Is it still does it have any problems with, uh, uh, let's say, machine tool health? Is uh, maintenance required? So you probably can use that data for something else. But do you need that to keep that data for 25 years? Mm. Most likely, no, you don't. But you still would like to be able to trace this data back after this number of years. So, and that is a quite a question which a lot of companies now are asking themselves if they would like to change their business model towards circularity and how to get the parts back, how they can be sure that the parts they get back are still possible to trace uh, mm. data-wise. So where, where, where are we in exploring that? <laughs> it depends uh, a lot on the industry. Again, because some industries, they are a little bit uh, ahead. Mm -hmm. If we're talking, for example, about... Uh, and it also depends on the place on Earth you are in. Okay. Because, for example, the company I mentioned about uh, turbines, mm -hmm. they, they are located in Ecuador. And uh, Ecuador is the country who tries to save money as much as possible. And, of course, they are doing that service, but they do not have any data back. And they said that it is quite a challenge for them to understand what has happened with the part during the life cycle, how it was made, if it had any uh, maintenance or anything else. We are in Sweden, we, it's vice versa. We have a lot of data uh, usually stored by companies, but uh, the circularity is uh, not so widely uh, used here. But if you're talking about, let's say, data and how to use the data, it also depends a lot on the industry. Uh, for example, if you're talking about aer uh, aerospace industry, that data is really secured. They don't mm. want to share the data with mm. anyone. Is it, is it out of like competitive reasons or to keep a competitive I've, edge? First, or? I think it's security. 
since NASA were one of the first who implemented the topic of the they implemented the digital digital twin. twins, and uh, you can imagine that aerospace industry overall is kind of ahead uh, in what's uh, going on because mm. they understand the value of data, mm. and they have quite a lot of solutions implemented themselves. Also, they they're using also quite quite expensive materials to manufacture their parts and uh, they are the way more uh, kind of for them to just recycle and to make new part yeah. cost the way more money than if you're talking for example about uh, automotive industry yeah. when they just can send it to recycle and create a new one it's a great incentive to actually leverage this kind of opportunity yes Going back to NASA, is that I'm not sure if that's true, but I came across an article that spoke about the digital twin, and I think back then they called it mirror twin, digital mirror, mirror, twin, mirror, yeah. mirror digital twin, mirror. digital mirror. But I think sounds very poetic. Yeah, <laughs> or, or mirror <laughs> world. Yeah. Mirror. <laughs> or probably it was mirror mirror world or mirror. Or mirror oh wow! Yes, Even you're right. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It's mirror world. Uh, but the the reason I think why uh, like how they use it was that they sent a um, a team to space mm-hmm. and something went wrong. They couldn't land. So, oh no! What went wrong is that the oxygen started uh, leaking, and they, the whole team, had to go into a into a part of the rocket that detaches so that they could go back to Earth and survive, essentially. Um, and then, the reason NASA was able to understand what went wrong is because they were having those digital twins of that specific rocket. Is that mm. true? Do you know? I, I found an article. I need to look it up. Uh, I mean, we'll believe it until yeah. anything else is proven. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. it's proven wrong, then yeah. I mean, in some way, that is uh, the good thing. How you learn uh, if something went wrong, you learn out of it. It's a bit dramatic with you know with astronauts in space about to. Well, they're almost about to die. But I mean, yes, absolutely. If we're not being so dramatic yeah. and, <laughs> and uh, talking about just simple machine tools yeah. <laughs> and no one <laughs> is about to die, uh, that is also quite important when you have some uh, failures because you learn out of it. Yeah. You would like to know what was before, what was happening before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is also quite a challenge for research projects sometimes because we have, let's say, projects for three to four years and uh, this is about to study what will happen, what will go wrong. But the problem is that during these three four to four years, nothing could happen. Mm. It's like, and you have nothing to learn from. And as I said, that the companies, they're usually not so happy to share their data, mm-hmm. even with research mm-hmm. uh, researchers. And um, yeah, so yeah. I found the article. It's on NASA's website. Oh, <laughs> okay. okay. Well, in that case, we can trust it. <laughs> it's trustworthy. It's oh, from the okay. 1960s. Well, I'm happy we can confirm it. Yeah. But uh, so, so you mentioned that the aerospace industry is quite ahead. What are the what are the use cases do you think we're gonna be seeing, or what kind of industries do you think are gonna be adopting this increasingly more? I think, in some sense, every industry should adopt it mm. because uh, that is uh, the data driven technologies and data driven mm. solutions. This is something what uh, we will see more the way more 
Of course, we still need human behind to set up the logic to understand if this solution is good enough by and that person should have some experience and knowledge about what's going on and to know the processes. But at the end, I believe that every com- every industry in some sense uh, will uh, implement digital twins, mm. probably not at each level of their um, production on, uh, of their enterprises, because that, I believe, can be quite challenging for some of them. Uh, but uh, in some sense, everywhere we will yeah. see that. What kind of use cases are you seeing today? Where are digital twins being the most mm-hmm. widely applied today? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the use cases, for example, we are working on, we are mainly working on automotive yes. industry. So we've been working, uh, like the first project which I was working on mm-hmm. was the digital twin of a cutting tool. And the idea about behind that was that we collect the data uh, related to the cutting tools from its design, then uh, how it, its physical replica is, like what are the physical... Uh, dimension of uh, the cutting tool then, how it was used in the machining process, and then uh, to analyze this data and uh, try to make the productivity analysis. But the challenge here was how to trace this data throughout the whole life cycle, because usually the person who is planning the, the process um, doesn't get any feedback from the production line, from the machining, actual. And uh, sometimes, for example, the operator could change uh, the, the something during the process because he or she has heard some weird noise or something else was wrong. And uh, usually the person who are doing the process do not get the feedback. And in case, if after that you have some problems with quality, you don't know what was happened. Was the cutting tool wrong? Was the material wrong? Was the process wrong? Was some, is a machine is not feeling good? Uh, but it it is all in data, and by having access to that data, you can uh, understand a little bit better the behavior, and you can understand better the reasons why the quality is not good enough. At the same time, we realized that it was really challenging to trace it back, like to be sure that that specific cutting tool uh, has been used for that that specific process, for that specific product, and so on. And uh, we are talking like when, of course, like I am in research and we have the workshop, but this that one is quite small and we don't use so many cutting tools. But if you're talking about uh, some big companies, uh, automotive, they use cutting tools a lot. And uh, they usually use the approach that they know how many cut, how for how many parts that cutting tool can be used for. And they just throw it away without tracing. And uh, because like it, used to cost quite uh, cheap to recycle cutting tools uh, because the energy wasn't so expensive and uh, so on. But um, as soon as... <laughs> Now the situation has yes. changed and everything is more expensive. <laughs> yes, so and you... Need to be careful with... Exactly. And you would like to know a little bit more about how your cutting tool has been used because you probably would like to extend the time for how long you... Or you just would like to know a little bit more how you use your assets and how you use your resources without just throwing them away. Uh, but that one was one of the use cases which we, we've been working on. And then later on, we've been thinking like, okay, how we can scale it up? Because cutting tools is the 
they are cool, but uh, it's just a tool. And is that possible that we do the same for the product? Like if we are doing the parts, uh, which later on will be assembled in the product, what kind of data uh, we can collect for the parts? Here, of course, like we can start with the design because the design of the part is the same, like uh, has the same problems like the product development. Why the part was designed that way? What kind of data is around that? Then the process planning, like how to machine this part. And then what kind of the machining data can be collected throughout. And again, how to make this data traceable, how to be sure that the data we collect uh, is related to that specific part. Because later on, when we measure it, we can uh, do the mapping of the data and uh, the quality issues if we have some. So what other application areas do you think it, this is also relevant in? So automotive, obviously, and then like some manufacturing or production lines. Uh, I think we mentioned briefly smart cities earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I've been reading briefly about the... The infrastructure planning in the cities, uh, I think Los Angeles, um, there was an example about Los Angeles and them having digital twins to be able to plan um, their city. Uh, And then I was also, I came across um, digital twins being used in medicine and others. So I wonder if you have any that you came across. I mean, uh, well, I've been reading some, uh, like... Again, also about the smart cities, like how to be able to plan for the further development as well based on the data you collect, uh, the traffic data, for example, and the other density of the population and how people are usually moving around. It makes me also wonder, I guess, I think we mentioned it briefly at some point, is that you're able to sometimes test scenarios before you deploy them, right? And that's also a good benefit of having a digital twin to be able to test a certain scenario so that you know whether or not the deployment in real life will be successful. Yes, exactly. But the, the, it's kind of the... Uh, it has been quite... Uh, some, some people say that digital twin is just a simulation tool, which mm. I somehow see that it's more than simulation tool. But simulation is, of course, part of the digital twin. Like if you have a really good simulation tool, which is especially have access to the real data and being able to learn based on the real data, that, of course, can give you like really good results Mm. out of it. So if not simulation tool, what would you call it? Use other words (laughs) than a digital (laughs) tool. It's a good research (laughs) No. <laughs> no, I, I, we've been talking quite a lot about data. Yeah. <laughs> so that this is the, in some sense, data management. Yeah. Uh, in some sense, of course, it's a simulation tool. In some sense, this is just the way how you uh, rename some things which has been in use for decades. <laughs> So, like, this is the combination. And uh, there are the the main challenges are related to data, of course, like how to know that this data we we gathered, is that enough? Is that good enough? But can we use it for something or we just uh, uh, store it and uh, 
there is no sense out of it. And if you are talking about digital twins, of course, like this is something in the virtual world, it's, it's digital. But that is the combination of tools uh, which we can use. So essentially, digital twins becomes a like an umbrella concept for a few different types of features yes. that are that are based on data and data management. Exactly. Yeah, that is a good. <laughs> In order to optimize your processes, your production, your planning, <laughs> your products, yes. your spending, exactly. sustainability. So yeah. many. Um, Let's say you name benefits. it. <laughs> yeah, yes, you name it. It has it all. Yeah. But very yeah. fascinating. Um, yeah, makes makes me jealous of you who work with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I mean, yeah, like you know, like sometimes I feel like people are talking about digital twins as the tool which can solve it all. <laughs> In, in some degree, <laughs> in some sense, uh, well, yes, probably, but uh, you have to be, you, you have to understand that it's in some way it's not so simple and easy. Uh, it's kind of the same when people say about AI and machine learning, like, oh, we just uh, you know make the system learn out of the out of it, and we will get perfect results. Well, no. (laughs) And it's kind of the same with digital twins. Like, yes, of course, that is the great tool, that is the great concept, like about thinking how you can make the digital representation of your process, product, system, whatever, uh, in a digital world based on data. Because now we have probably the way too many data Mm -hmm. around us. But at the same time, you have, like, people have to understand that it's not the solution as such. So it's not like, let's say, something you can directly take out from the shelf and use yeah. it and get the perfect results. Uh, it's not plug and play. No, it's not. No, exactly. Because I would imagine you need someone to interpret in, interpret, interpret, yeah. interpret yeah. that data exactly. and know what to look for in order to get the benefits out of it. So Digital Twin on its own is as useful or mm. unuseful as you can... Uh, yeah. You, understand it. Exactly. You have to know your data. I also have seen some examples about healthcare mm-hmm. and about health systems. Like if you collect the data about the uh, the human being, body, yeah. uh, human body and uh, how does it feel <laughs> overall, uh, that also could bring quite a lot of uh, uh, benefit. For example, like you have your heart uh, rate collected all the time by even by your watches and yeah. you can know and later on you can see how did you, how was your heart uh, doing. Yeah. Like, uh, and later on you probably can send it back to your doctor and try to... to oh, so that, yeah, so they, the doctor will have to or yeah. will be able to analyze how your health has been... Um, uh, I've read about that, that some people, like when you take those tests from these health companies now that examine your body data, that it's good to bring Mm -hmm. it to doctors to actually get Mm -hmm. a context of Mm -hmm. what it means so that you don't see something and think you're super sick, which is (laughs) not the case. But it makes me wonder if Daniel X's new company uh, will will provide that at some point. It's interesting to think that, you know, maybe doctors going forward, they will have to learn some sort of 
analysis in their education as well, right? That it will not mm-hmm. only be, be um, a requirement to identify your problems, but also to be able to analyze, well, for instance, data collected from a smartwatch or similar. Very true. That's a good point. Yeah. Future of medicine. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that I can see that as a future, more or less, every industry that you need someone who understands your data yeah. and someone who can analyze it. Uh, because like just knowing how to analyze data is not enough. You have to understand what this data is about. Good point, yeah. And not to say that, oh no, you have uh, such a heart rate, you're probably about to die. <laughs> <laughs> That's very dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> Statistics can be really tricky. You might as well just lie down as here. Google, yeah. As Google, you're likely yeah. to die tomorrow. Because <laughs> I have these symptoms. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Write your will. <laughs> Or your watch just shows you a sad smile. <laughs> This is going to be the future of knowing how you're doing. Yeah. You're about to die in five minutes. You don't even need doctors. <laughs> Ever smart watch. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, okay. that's. But this is so exciting because I feel like we are just so we are in the very beginning of implementing digital twins. Even mm-hmm. if it has been around as a concept and idea for a long while, it's now that we see and explore new areas for actually using it or for leveraging this kind of resource. What are you seeing in companies? Um, I don't know, have you seen any recent, like any changes in the last, say, five to ten years? I mean, obviously digital twins have been around for a while, but is there a better understanding now than it used to be before? And I know earlier you mentioned there's still companies who need education, but... Yeah, I can say that I'm working with this topic since 2017, Mm -hmm. and... uh, Today is 2023, <laughs> so it's been some time. And I can see that there have been, has been a shift uh, in the mindset of companies quite a lot because it seems that uh, they start to understand why you need it and why you have to analyze your data and what you can gain by doing that, at least not just by collecting, by starting to use by starting using this data you have. And uh, more and more people are talking about digital twins, more and more uh, understand that this is not just a digital the 3D drawing of the part, for example. They understand the way more. And uh, now, as I said, that people finally started to think the way more about sustainability and about how to be circular, not just uh, like in everyday life but how to start planning that for the next 25 years. But this is, of course, the very beginning of that journey. I can say that uh, there have been a lot of uh, programs and a lot of support uh, by government as well, how to try to start, uh, how to be more circular for. But uh, we are in the beginning of quite interesting journey, I would say. Thank you so much for joining us. I think we have had very interesting discussions and it's going to be so exciting to to follow the development of use cases with digital twins for sure. 100%. But uh, I mean, I want to work more with digital twins <laughs> <laughs> if anything. I think yeah. it's fascinating. As I mean, 
I say I feel like I repeat myself as a like a parrot, but <laughs> every episode we do, I think I learn more and more. And yeah. this has been just yeah, fascinating to read about, to understand better. Um yeah, there's a lot of positive scenarios out in the media. So I think it's good to remember it's not just positive. There's a lot of challenges in in the in the industry across industries and how digital twins are being utilized. Um, and I think you've pointed out a lot of those challenges and important things to look out for. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And I'm, I'm a little bit worried that it was, ah, oh, it's about data. You know, we have these problems <laughs> with data, these problems with data, but... <laughs> it is data. It is data. <laughs> it is, unfortunately, yes. And yeah. uh, every time, because like, you know, when I, I was kind of, you know, preparing for that a little bit and I just like, you know, Google Digital Twin, what is uh, right now out mm. there in the, in the world, not of the research, let's say. And I've, I've seen like, you know, these nice pictures, like Showing you yes. such yeah. a beautiful scenario. <laughs> this mm-hmm. is, of course, really optimistic, and uh, I kind of think that we will come to that because we are doing our research to be able for everyone to come to that scenario. But, so, what scenario is it? What yeah. do you see in the scenario? Yes. If you're trying to visualize it. <laughs> data is being shared between companies without any problems. And the companies, they are gaining a lot by using this data. And we are becoming more sustainable because by using this data, we are able to improve and develop our processes to make them uh, better, to mm. produce less scrap, to use those products for the way longer, uh, and then when we get back these products, we are able to manufacture, refurbish, and use them again. Okay, so it took six years to become, to become <laughs> uh, more widely accepted, and then we need maybe another six years for that data to be shared. Yeah. Sounds but, magical. Uh, yeah, well, but that is, of course, the ideal world. <laughs> well, that's the goal. Yeah, that's the goal. I believe in you. <laughs> yeah, but, but thank you so much for joining us today. Thank, thank you, Daria. Much. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. Go to the links in the description to follow us on social media or visit 70 Agency website for more information. And if you like this episode, don't forget to share and subscribe so you never miss out on future episodes.